The We're LCC podcast is a monthly show that comes out on the 9th of every month. But if you hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app, you'll never need to remember that because the show will automatically be there. So go ahead and hit the subscribe or follow button on your podcast app now. We are LCC, a podcast emanating from the halls of Lower Canada College on Royal Avenue in Montreal. Here's alumni officer Christine Jones. Today, we have the pleasure of having Lauren Small-Penefather join us. Lauren has been in the field of public service for 25 years and is currently the Director of National Celebrations and Commemorations for Parks Canada. She has served as an ambassador for the Terry Fox Foundation for 24 years and is the City Councillor for the Town of Montreal West. She is a determined spirit and contributes to the world to make it a better place on a daily basis. We are so excited to have Lauren with us today, so thanks for joining us. All right. Well, first, then I'd like to welcome you, Lauren, uh, for joining us on the We Are LCC podcast. We're very happy to have you. And as I said, I've heard nothing but wonderful things about you, your determined spirit, the way you contribute to the world to make it a better place, starting all with the community. So I just, again, wanted to welcome you and I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Thanks very much for having me. I'm super excited to uh, discuss being an integral part of the community and, you know, paying it forward and why kindness matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe the best place to start would just be if you could tell us a little bit about your story. Um, You know, if you want to talk a bit of your personal story, your professional story, and and how the two sort of have woven themselves together. Sure. So um, actually this year I hit uh, 25 years of uh, public service. Um, at the federal level. So when I was completing my graduate degree at Concordia uh, in public policy and public administration, part of that was doing a stage uh, with the federal government. And I started with Environment Canada at the time. And then I've been very fortunate to work for Environment Canada, which is now Global Affairs Canada, the Canadian Space Agency, and now with Parks Canada, And I'm actually on an assignment right now with um, Environment and Climate Change Canada to work on the Canada Pavilion for the Conference of the Parties for Biodiversity, which is taking place in Montreal in December. So, you know, serving at the federal level, I've really had a calling for for public service that I feel really connected to my community. And uh, during the pandemic, you know, I think we were all kind of languishing. And there was a very interesting article in the New York Times by Adam Grant in 2021 about languishing. And it was kind of the void between uh, depression and flourishing. And I thought, what would be the best way to address my languishing than to throw my hat in the ring and run for municipal politics? (laughs) Why not? What what everybody else would do, I'm sure, right? Right. So last November, I I did run in the uh, municipal election for the town of Montreal West and was elected as a councillor. And my portfolio is uh, public security. And it's I find it's a really nice way to round out all of, you know, my federal level public service. And now working within my town, the town of Montreal West, where I've lived for the last uh, 14 years. And it's been really interesting. It has really lifted me I think at a time where a lot of people were feeling it was really difficult during the pandemic, you know, and what were kind of certain ways that we'd like to contribute and have a valuable contribution to our communities. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And so prior to that, was it part of your natural, I don't know, the way you grew up, let's say, to be giving back to your community? Had you always been interested in that sort of level of service type work? Well, definitely. I would say it's in my DNA. My mom volunteered quite a bit in our community and she actually volunteered for uh, the Ville Marie services, which are now uh, children's services, children who are in foster care. I remember she did a Ronald McDonald house um, at our home and we raised money for the Ronald McDonald house when we were kids. And I even remember when I was around 10 years old, nine, 10 years old, you know, Terry Fox running across the country. And I remember it was something we talked a lot about in our home. And it was really about the bravery and courage of an individual who decided to take a very difficult situation in the face of adversity and want to make a change. And I remember at that young age, how inspired I was by Terry Fox. And it stayed with me from the time that I was about nine or 10 years old. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And so that you would say was what sort of propelled you into wanting to give back at that community level and focus, I guess, on Terry Fox, but I would imagine that you would do that you work with other organizations as well, or is is Terry Fox sort of your focus? Um, I've actually been a peer mentor at Hope and Cope at the Jewish General Hospital Foundation. And that was because of my own path of having both of my parents uh, succumb to cancer. My mom was diagnosed. My daughter, Ava, is 14 years old. She turned 14 a few days ago when I was around her age when my mom was first diagnosed. And I think it really put that into perspective. And I'm just looking at her and thinking how young she was or how young she is and how young I was when my mom was first diagnosed. But I remember her having a conversation with us and she tried to be super positive. She talked about an apple and she said, you know, there is an apple and, you know, this part of the apple is bruised and they're going to go in and cut away this part of the apple. But look at all this apple that's, you know, this rest of the apple that's really, really good. So, you know, she really tried to try to make it an experience that, it's scary when you hear the word cancer and people don't talk about it often. Um, and this is going back 30 years. Um, I lost my mom. It's 30 years this year. And I lost my dad is will be 13 years in December. You know, that diagnosis that my mother had really shaped me into the person that I am. And I think I had a kind of a, a choice at one point and either it was, you know, I lost her when I was 21 and I started something called CARES, which was Concordia Cancer Awareness resource education for students when I was at Concordia, because I didn't feel there were a lot of resources in the community, um, especially for university students who take a lot into their shoulders. And we talk a lot about more about mental health these days. And it's really about, you know, making sure your mental health is in check as well. But I've been on boards for um, Cancer Care Ontario when I lived in Ottawa. But there's always been some kind of connection to cancer, because that's what spoke to me. But Terry Fox, I haven't missed a run in 24 years. Oh my God. You know, Ava as well hasn't missed a run in her entire life. I actually, her due date was the day after a Terry Fox, a local (laughs) Terry Fox run. They were very excited to tell me that they had St. John's ambulance that were (laughs) (laughs) on site just in case. But luckily, Ava came about 11 days late. Okay. I mean, maybe luckily for the run, maybe not for your comfort at that point, but. Yeah. So the alchemy of loss and mourning is very complex and everybody has their own way in which they deal with loss and with mourning. And for me, it was really about trying to help fill that void or that gap of what I felt from a young age 
of losing my mom so early and someone who was so influential in my life, you know, but I really, really realized that she planted those seeds of change within me mm-hmm. so that when I was an adult and I was in a position where I could contribute, that I would do so. And Terry Fox really, the foundation was a vehicle in which I really felt connected and wanted to raise awareness about cancer and also about early detection. And as I said previously, people don't talk about cancer because they're scared of it. And I think it's not only about raising awareness about raising funds for cancer research, but it's also raising awareness of, you know, people have to be really vigilant with their health. And I noticed that about my mom, Um, a lot of women sometimes are dismissed when they complain about medical issues. And I remember her having to be so persistent about some of the medical issues she had and some things that she was feeling and how it was dismissed. And she kept pushing and she was a real advocate for her health. And I realized what an important part that is in, in cancer diagnosis and as well as in surviving cancer diagnosis, because it doesn't always mean, you know, that somebody isn't going to survive, but so many cancers today are so survivable in large part to the contributions that the Terry Fox Foundation has made, they've raised more than $850 million wow. since Terry started his Marathon of Hope, you know, 42 years ago. And that's amazing. They're they're tracking towards a billion dollars. Oh Just think God. about that. It's quite amazing. It really is unreal. And I mean, it, it's amazing that even yourself at that young age, faced with the tragedy of losing both of your parents, were able to sort of turn it into something positive, not for just yourself and and to go through your grieving process, but in terms of being, you know, helping out with advocacy and stuff, I'm sure you helped so many other young adults, like you said, when you had your group at Concordia. And clearly it's a, a super important part of you and your life. And, you know, I appreciate when you say that, let's say talking about cancer isn't always just talking about the fundraising aspect and that maybe a lot of the teachable moments that we need to be working with in the community are really about the early detection and being an advocate for your own health. And so is that a large part of the work that you do as well with the Terry Fox? I know you participate in the runs and you're clearly like a mouthpiece for them, but how much goes into the education piece in that respect? So I think starting the conversation and having outlets, and I think it's really great that you do these podcasts, that gives people an opportunity to learn more about it. And when people have an opportunity to learn, you know, they start to look into it more. And that's really that educational component of not just what the Terry Fox Foundation does, but a a lot of cancer organizations across the country are you know, really focused on is is really creating those opportunities for educating and raising awareness of the public. Right. And like the way that Terry Fox, with his Marathon of Hope and how he started that, he seemed to be a trailblazer in the fight. And that was a new thing for communities back then to see that kind of grassroots level work across an entire nation. And do you think that there's room for that with other organizations? And is that really where we should be focusing on trying to get the word out? And instead of it coming sort of from this sort of global umbrella, top down sort of bit? Yeah. And I think the Terry Fox organization does provide the tools and everybody knows like there's community runs across the country, right? That took place in mid-September, the school runs that take place. 
I myself had a significant birthday during the pandemic and decided to launch something called 50 for Fox. And 50 for Fox was a way in which I felt I could contribute. So I decided to run 10 kilometers in every province once a month. And I'm up to, I've uh, completed seven runs. I wow. just did my last run in Newfoundland and Labrador. I went to St. John's and I actually ran the local Terry Fox run, which I usually have in Montreal West. I've been running that run for the last decade and decided to run in Newfoundland. Like we haven't had the last two years, people haven't been out for um, the Terry Fox runs. And I thought, how great would it be to actually run with a number of, you know, Terry Foxers from across St. John's, Newfoundland. And they actually have 18 runs, I think, across the province. Wow. And I ran in the one in St. John's and it was, you know, quite spectacular. And I've seen some amazing places across the country. And it's just so impressive. And I think often how Terry must have felt, you know, going to these provinces, probably a lot of times he did have a lot of fanfare, but I'm sure he was alone in his thoughts. And he ran a marathon. Let's not forget. Oh, my God. Yeah. Terry Fox ran a marathon for more than 143 days. He did more than 5,000 kilometers across the entire eastern part of this country and then to Ontario and Quebec. And he had envisioned having raised a dollar for every Canadian. And at that time, there were about 25 million Canadians in 1980, 1981. So he, and he surpassed that in his first year. So I just keep thinking, and he had a prosthetic leg that weighed more than 20 pounds. And I keep thinking about that. So for me doing my 10 kilometers, yeah. when I'm feeling like I can't push more, I often draw my inspiration from Terry. because It's just amazing that he was able to have, you know, that mindset and to focus himself onto something bigger than himself. I think that's really what it is. And I think about often the motto, non nobis solum. Mm-hmm. LCC and not for ourselves alone. And it's so important because I think Terry really embodied that. That's what it's all about. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. And you have the opportunity to do that. You have the power to make change, right? Mm -hmm. You can be told something and you can decide to do something else. Terry was told something and he said, you know what? I'm going to do something bigger than myself. I'm not going to be selfish right now. And he had every opportunity to be and sit with what his diagnosis was but he was really driven by wanting to make a change. And he did. And it's a legacy that is endured. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, like we were just saying, that whole process was new to communities. But in thinking about it, I mean, it really drives the point home how important human connection and personal experience is with regards to people learning about other things. So learning, let's say, about cancer, not we take the whole fundraising part out of it, but just having people know that this is happening, just building awareness of certain issues, the way that he did it, literally connecting personally with every Canadian is something that hadn't been done prior and it hasn't been done since, at least to that extent. Yeah, he definitely has a, you know, an indelible legacy and he just had, he had that power of connection. Mm -hmm. And you don't see that in a lot of a lot of people, but he had that power to connect. And I think people just really opened up their hearts to him. We lost him at a very early age, right? He was 21 when he passed away. And I think it's amazing that he still, I mean, his runs still connect with people, you know, like my daughter who wasn't even born, you know, she found a way to connect. And it's obviously I was the connector there, but she realizes the value of Terry Fox and his, and his value proposition to 
you know, wanting to change the world and creating a world without cancer. And that's a massive challenge. You know, people are working across the globe, researchers and fundraisers and scientists to be able to come up for a cure with cancer. I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast knows someone, has a friend, has a family member who's been diagnosed or has lost somebody. So everybody has a way to connect, but it's about finding a passion and finding what you connect to and, you know, what really works for you. And, you know, I can take that into a different space, even like in my position at Parks Canada and also as a municipal counselor, our nation is healing truth and reconciliation, right? We just Friday was the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. It was the, you know, the second National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. And for the first time, the town of Montreal West actually displayed the survivor's flag. And that was another way that we could really, you know, connect at a community level to have a learning moment and opportunity for people to learn more about the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation and the path of truth and reconciliation. When I started my career 25 years ago, there was the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples that was under, at the time, uh, the Governor General Adrian Clarkson. And I wrote my thesis on that. So it's, I've been bookended in my career with this, you know, Commission on Aboriginal Peoples to where we've come with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I have hope. I have hope that people want to see a change. I think people were illuminated who hadn't been previously when the very tragic uncovery of unmarked graves across our country. It's a very painful moment. It's a dark moment in history, but nonetheless, it's something that needs to be discussed and people need to understand. There are courses out there, like, you know, several universities offer free curriculum. If you want to sign up with the University of Alberta, there's, you know, there's Indigenous Canada. And this can give everybody a, a strong understanding of what the contributions Indigenous people have made to this country. I've been very privileged and I've really worked with a lot of Indigenous communities throughout my career, but there are people who never have that opportunity and don't really know where to go. And these are little small steps that you can take to make yourself more aware of something that's really important in our country. So it's really, you know, taking whatever it is that you're passionate about, whatever it is that you want to learn about and taking it up to the next level and taking an action. Right. So it's it's putting an action out there and it's like the calls to action. Right. They're really important as well. And the federal government is working towards those calls to actions. But so are provinces and territories. But there are actions that people can take personally to make sure that the part of the reconciliation happens. I think a lot of the truth is out there. But I think people are not too sure what they're supposed to do in the reconciliation space. Would there be any things that you'd be able to share with us on the approach on the reconciliation part? I mean, if we're looking at things, let's say at a community level or um, municipal level, maybe there's something that people can start to do to to work on that process and apply that to not just raising awareness, as you say, about the truth, but taking the next step towards reconciliation. Yeah. So we, I mean, locally, we have a Mohawk community that's just across the river on the South Shore in Katawake. And, you know, it's, you know, learning experiences. I don't know if people have gone to a powwow before. Like expand your horizons. I've been to a few powwows and there's, it's a big learning experience. It's immersing yourself in a culture that you might not know. People can purchase the survivor's flag from the um, commission on uh, on truth and reconciliation. You can display that flag. You can wear a t-shirt, you can wear a pin, but we try not to use tokenism and that people really need to try to find ways that they're meaningful ways of capturing 
truth and reconciliation. And I would say, you know, just connecting with someone in the Mohawk community, inviting somebody from the Mohawk community to come speak to a group of people. Your local library can do it. You can walk into your local library and say, hey, have we explored this? Can we put some more Indigenous books of Métis and First Nations and Inuit um, that will be more accessible to people. Um, it's really about providing learning experiences and providing those kind of environments that are going to be inviting to people to want to learn. And it's really about reaching out. And you really can do this at the community and grassroots level. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's so true. And obviously, it's such an important thing to move forward with for, for everybody. So, I mean, making those small steps individually in the community without sounding sort of cliche can make a difference as time goes on globally. What other work or are there other organizations that you work with on those levels that sort of speak to the same kind of making a difference in the world? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, whether it's as, you know, wearing my hat as a municipal councillor or wearing my hat as a federal public servant, the joy of doing that is collaboration. And to me, you know, you don't achieve anything without collaboration or partnership. And I think that's really what it's all attributed to. And it's whether it's working with a university or working with a local organization or those who have vested interests or mutual interests, I think those are ways in which you connect. I'm also an alumni from Concordia and Concordia, I know, offers a lot of those series. I'm also an alumni from McGill and McGill also offers a lot of those kinds of services. But it's even, you know, I say give back to community. I have sat on a number of boards with uh, with Concordia University. I currently sit on the board for the School Community and Public Affairs, which I did in my undergrad. Um, I was also on the alumni board for Concordia University. Those are other outlets and ways in which you can you can give back that are not always very demanding of your time. They usually meet, you know, on a monthly basis or every second month. And those are ways in which you can give back. I've been a chair on my daughter's uh, governing board when she was in elementary school. You know, so I'm always looking for ways. I think it's just been a human connection for me. But I've also, I've put a lot of thought about this. And I, I talked a little bit about the alchemy of mourning and loss. And for me, I think it's, it helps to fill the void that I have. And it's taken me a very long time to talk about this without crying. I remember I would have such a hard time talking about it without crying. And I think part of the gift that I'm trying to give to myself is to be kind to myself, to be nurturing to myself, to allow myself to you know, experience that loss, knowing that you never get over that loss, but knowing that you have to kind of readapt the way that you've, you know, it's about resiliency, having the strength to kind of change what your destiny is but you have chances and you have choices and things happen by chance but you really need to be purposeful in the choices that you make in your life right it is really amazing now that you can talk about it in such a beautiful confident way and of course it would would not even be terrible to cry because you have lived through these things, but it's interesting that you make the distinction that now you're able to, because you sort of come a little bit further away from it and been able to channel that sadness or the grieving into something positive. So I think it's so important for people to know that whether they're in a situation of loss or if it doesn't have to do, let's say, with with cancer, but just in something that they're facing, that there are a lot of other alternatives to just sitting with that sadness and sitting with it, that you can channel that sort of, for lack of a better word, energy into something else to make you feel whole again. 
Absolutely. And, and I would also say that, you know, I talked all about mental health. It's, you know, Bell Let's Talk that really launched a movement. And, you know, I would say I was going through this as a student. And, you know, if there are any students that are listening to me now, I would say to you that there is hope. That there are people that you can talk to, that there are people there that can support you and don't feel that you have to take the weight of the world on your shoulders because it is hard. Loss is hard. Dealing with a parent or a loved one who is sick is hard. And I would definitely encourage you that if you are feeling alone, please, please reach out to somebody that you trust and talk to them and just open up a door of communication. And if you're really feeling despair, there are a number of organizations that you can reach out to that will support you. So I'm just saying that having experienced that and feeling that weight on my shoulders, I want you to know, listen to my voice. You are not alone. You're not alone. Yeah, it's so important. You're going to make me cry now. (laughs) But it is such an important message. It honestly is for anyone in the community. I did want to touch quickly on something that we hadn't at the beginning, but I know that you had done a certificate or a degree in space and law. And I wondered if that played into any of your your work now, or that was just something that you had just been interested in. I have a very specialized niche degree in air and space law from McGill University. I did a, a graduate degree when I was working at uh, the Canadian Space Agency, and my specialty was space traffic management, I still dabble in that field of space and, and astronomy. And if you've been watching the news, you've seen some pretty amazing things that are happening in space. And I think that's a really good way to connect people to to science and STEM. And I think it, you know it's really important as well. Um, but I did want to mention I was part of Chris Hadfield's mission to the International Space Station in oh, 2012. Wow. I was able to travel to Kazakhstan and a large part of my career has been devoted to diplomacy. I've worked on agreements with a number of countries and I have to say those are the special gifts that you get along the way that I say to myself that my parents are watching me or they're contributing somehow um, and they're still part of my life because I like to, that's the way I like to think and and think that they, they still are with me with all these amazing things that happen because even though you may be faced with adversity, amazing things can still happen in your life. And you have to give permission that you can experience joy. And a lot of people forget that. I became very serious. Like I was a super serious kid (laughs) when I was in my late teens and as an early, you know, going into early adulthood. I was just on a cusp of becoming an adult when I lost my mom. And I really, you know, had to do a lot of internal work to be able to kind of surpass being in that and giving myself permission to experience joy, to experience positive things in my life. And you'll draw that to yourself. You just have to give yourself that kind of permission. So, I mean, doing that degree again was a challenge, doing something to challenge myself. I went back to school after already having a a master's degree and said, hey, let me get back into the university life. (laughs) It was really amazing because I experienced it in a very different aspect because I just lost my mom. I didn't have that kind of university experience. I think most people do. I kind of went to school. I did extra, I mean, listen to this, extra (laughs) courses. I did full summer. So I did my undergrad and my grad in three and a half years. And I was, yeah. That's amazing. I focused myself because I felt I lost so much time. Right. Really want, I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to focus my energy and and really put myself on a, on a track for success. And that's, Way I chose to do it, but me choosing that doesn't mean that it's right for someone else. That was my way. I think of it was also a coping mechanism for me 
But I do, I love, I mean, I absolutely love all aspects of space and astronomy, but really the legal framework around how space works. I was like, wow, this is super interesting for someone who negotiated a lot of agreements over the course of my career. It was something that I really thought would be a good addition. Oh, I love it. I mean, yeah, it really did pique my interest when I read it. I'm amazed at your background because it <laughs> covers so much. And I really love what you said to us earlier, just about, you know, telling people to allow themselves permission to feel joy is such an amazing takeaway, I think, for all of us. And I also appreciated when you said there's chance and there's choice and it's okay to to make choices for yourself, you know? Absolutely. And I mean, that's also a learning process, right? You have to learn what you can and cannot control. And for a very long time, and again, it's doing, you know, work with myself in that, you know, I would often try to change things that I couldn't control. You don't have a lot of success success doing that, right? Like you have to sometimes accept the things that you cannot change, right? There's, we've all heard that in the past, but really learning to accept what we cannot change. No, it's so true. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, or let our listeners know before we sign off? No, just I really appreciate the opportunity, KJ, to speak uh, with the community today. And like I said, one of the reasons we chose LCC for our daughter was because of that community connection. Um, and I see she thrives when she goes and, you know, does her community service. And, you know, it's really important. So I think that's also an important aspect. And you need to find balance. And I think with what you're trying to achieve academically, it's so important to balance that with making really nice choices to support your community. That's really the learning experience. Like you could learn all you want in a classroom and all you want in a book. But when you go out in the real world and you're being part of the community service, that's really where you're going to get a lot of your learning opportunities. And I think that's a really amazing. And I really want to applaud LCC for integrating that into the curriculum. And I think that really helps students thrive. I also think that helps set students apart. And I try to explain as well as that. I mean, as a as a senior public servant, I hire a lot of people and I want to see what makes somebody different. And sometimes I'll look into a CV and I'll see, you know, it's great that people do all these academic, you know, endeavors, but I want to see what they're balancing themselves with as well. And when they put themselves out there and they do other things in the community, I always think that's an amazing asset, especially when you're applying to university or applying to SEJEP. It's an amazing asset to have is really demonstrating your community service. Absolutely. No, that is actually super, super important, especially for our young people to hear. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much again. And um, thank you very much again. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to We Are LCC. For more, go to lcc.ca slash podcast. And remember to hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.